if we're supposed to look at God's actions and see his character, it's a little bit horrifying to think about what he sees when he looks down of our character, and it makes his love and grace and sacrifice all the more astounding. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me today are your friends, Karen. Yes, good morning. And Tracy. Good morning. And Amy will not be here today. She's off doing something and didn't tell us what. Ooh. Boo. Amy. I hope you hear this, Amy. But no, <laughs> we look forward to her being back next week. I'm I sure almost snorted everybody... coffee. <laughs> Well, that probably would be painful. <laughs> Wouldn't feel good anyway. <laughs> you know, the weird biological functions of 50-year-olds that we've been talking about for the past half hour here. <laughs> Talked about weird feet and oh, you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bother our <laughs> our let's, listeners with let's the just say it, it was maybe divine providence that we were recording yet and just move on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, interesting conversations, but it's like at some point I'm going, you know what? There's there was probably a point in my life where this conversation would have been horrifying to me. But now that I'm nearly 50 years old, I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Huh. I would have now never I'm thought clarifying questions. <laughs> so if that's that color, then I need to think about this. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh Welcome, listeners. <laughs> to middle age and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Well, hopefully our discussion today will be something that will be a little more uh, universal in nature and won't disgust everybody. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This was grim. I'm sorry. These chapters are pretty grim. That... And, by the way, I'm sitting right beside an open window and there is a loud bird right outside. <laughs> you hear the... that? Yeah, he's part of the show. All right. Well, if it gets too loud, just let me know. I'll <laughs> shut it. But it's really beautiful out. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be fine. Um, but so this week we were talking about Ezekiel chapters 13 through 17. And as Karen said, it's it's not they weren't fun chapters to read. Yeah, they really, they really weren't. It's terrible. Uh, you know, the, our context here with Ezekiel specifically is Ezekiel is one of those who has been, been already carried off to Babylon. And he's been getting visions, and some of his visions have been so weird. Uh, you could go back and listen to those or go back and read those, some of those visions that he's had. But um, but he's been getting messages of things that have been happening back in Jerusalem, which he's been taken out of. And so I, I'm still a little curious of why him being already in Babylon, God was deciding to give him these visions. But I, su I suppose maybe it was so those who were with him could feel a little connected, still understand why things were happening, if they didn't already understand by now why things were happening the way they were. But his visions are are largely concerned with things happening in Jerusalem as as that ball keeps rolling and it, and uh, Jerusalem is ready to be just completely carried off to Babylon. And so chapter thirteen begins with a warning against. It says the, the title of it in my Bible was woe to foolish prophets. Mm -hmm. I want to say it was back with Jeremiah that God was was giving warnings to these prophets. And we, we know that there were prophets. I'm going to use the air quotes prophets who kept saying that everything is going to be fine and good right. and don't worry about it. And that they shouldn't leave Jerusalem. And then you have the turnabout where it was like, oh, maybe we should go to Egypt. But mm -hmm. everything contrary to what? god god's prophets were saying yeah to the point where even god at the time had said don't don't even bother don't don't tell people that you've been hearing from me because i'm not talking to you at all and so you know the way god puts it here in ezekiel 13 he says that woe to those or it's uh you know it's basically those who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing so these literally are people who are just making stuff up it would seem I had a question about that when I was reading it. Do you think that they were actually making it up or do you think that they were genuinely deceived? That was, yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that. Were they making it up or were they being given some kind of a false prophecy from, you know, another source? 
I mean, is there any reason that we would have that we would think that Satan's uh, forces, Satan, you know, don't have some ability to give us false messages? I don't know. Uh, I don't I don't I mean, I'm not going to go into a big study of what what powers those forces have, you know, precisely. But it would stand to reason to me that they would have some ability to feed us false information. And it would be up for us, up to us to test those things. I mean, there are tests for prophets given in the Bible, and I don't remember what they all are right now. But I remember at some point, at least, you know, talking about future things and saying one of them being if something is predicted to happen and it doesn't, then you can know right away that it wasn't a, a prophecy. And there's some others. Well, this is the thing that made me wonder if it was something they conjured up in their own brain or if they were genuinely led astray. So check out this verse. So it's verse. So it's 13, starting in verse 6. It says, their visions are false and their divinations a lie. Even though the Lord has not sent them, they say the Lord declares and expect him to fulfill their words. Mm. Right? So is that... Yeah utterly manipulative like well if i put the lord's name out here on blast then he's got to come through like is that is that just blatant human trying to manipulate the divine or are they legitimately deceived and they they either they're either getting supernatural messages but it's from the other side and they haven't bothered to sort of curate their sources Mm -hmm. verify their sources or are they just hearing their own thoughts and feelings and wishes as truth? Not that anyone in the history of the world has ever done that. <laughs> ever. Yeah. You know, I wonder On a daily if it's a mixture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Go I ahead. wonder if, if it's a mixture of, you know, all the above of what Karen said that, you know, I think too that to be passionate about, you know, what you're telling people and something like that, they'd have to, to be misled by Satan you know, to have that, have that fire and believability, I would say that they were legitimately misled by Satan, mm-hmm. you know, to just to be contrary and work contrary to what God's trying to do and, and to bring his people back to him on a, on a timetable, like he had set up, there's always going to be other, you know, that's what Satan's going to do is say, you know what, we could speed this process along if we, you know, everything is fine or we do something, you know, absolutely different than what God said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's clear they're deceived in some fashion. Uh, I guess it's a, a question of what level, because I've questioned a lot of times when we're reading through, you know, all these idolatrous things that they were doing. It, I, it's made me wonder how, how literal things were for, to make them want to follow these other gods when they've had such, and I'm going to use the word tangible examples of the real God, and yet they would still steer away and go to these to these other these other false gods to the point of you know sacrificing children on a on a on an altar of Molech. You know, what are uh, your recent tangible experiences? Well, I'm thinking, and of course, maybe not for the generation we're talking about right now, but and I think you know, that's the trick. To me, that's yeah, the trick of this. Yeah, but but you know, I'm you you think of the. You, parting the Red Sea, crossing the Jordan, you but know, pillars of floor at this point, you know, this true. is how much later. Yeah, and and true. I have yet to find a generation of humans who can actually learn from their ancestors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like, they, you know, and we've all been young. We've all been the one like our parents tried to tell us something important and we would just sort of look at them and think. Oh, OK, OK, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Like, why on earth do you assume that's going to happen to me? Like, I'm so much smarter than you. Don't you know that? <laughs> that's horrible, but that's kind of like a generational thing. And, yeah. and so, and that's how we end up with these pendulum swings in societies is that, is that the generations, like if you've got a group of, of parents who grow up to be, who grow up to be total societal renegades, the chance that their children will be even more renegades is is less likely than the fact that their children will probably come more back the other way and be a little bit more, a little bit more cautious. You know, like we tend to, our generations tend to grow up in reaction to the previous generations, right? Mm-hmm. So now, how the Israelites got from God establishing them in the Promised Land to sacrificing their children to Moloch is just appalling to me, but. I don't know. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, and I guess that's maybe as part of what I'm what I'm considering here is how you know they the, the they very quickly turned away from from God. You know, even in the wilderness, they kept trying to pull away from things, but yeah. then it was just stubbornness, I think, more than anything. But the, but to grasp on so firmly to these false gods, it just makes me wonder: was Satan working in some more physical way than we see i mean he doesn't need to work with us physically because we're constantly just you know looking every other direction anyway well, um yeah you know but it just makes me wonder was there was there you know, i've often wondered like with egypt for them to believe so strongly in the gods that they had it makes me wonder sometimes were there some kind of weird manifestation that made them believe these things um yeah absolutely I look at like the, yeah i look at like the witch of endor uh huh. You know that that was what was left over from um, King Saul trying to go out and and eradicate all the the um, well the black arts really. Yes, he, yeah. He yeah. Yeah. Eradicate the black arts. He like interact with the dead, and that, that was huge. And he mm-hmm. went after and tried to eradicate that. And it this was what was still left. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, you know, I think I think Satan. Satan can be very, very manipulative, very, very real to those that are looking for that. And I think by today's today, we don't see those physical manifestations because I think he doesn't need to do it with us where people are already. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of people out there already looking for other things. And not looking to God, and they'll look for anything other than the Christian God, and so it's not. I don't, uh, it seems maybe it's not as hard to mislead these days as you know. I, I would tend then. to agree with that too, and and I also would would throw in there too. It's um, what kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for that, you'll find it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And if you're not, and you let's just say just stay stay away from it or very leery of it. I think I think that's when you know you know you know who God is, and you know you just don't dabble in that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. Now God says right out, these people are not going to be in the assembly of my people. He's not going to let them really continue to be an influence on those people who are wanting to follow God. He compares the proclamations that these guys have been making of peace to plastering a wall with untempered mortar. Now I'm, you know, I'm no bricklayer or anything like that, but you know, you can get the concept here is if you, if you don't build a wall with good products, it's not going to be a good wall. And, and so that's what's, what he's talking about here. It's just going to crumble. It's going to fall in. It's going to, it's going to be broken down. And, um, all of this, all these falsehoods are just going to be exposed for what they are. People will see, all these when they're saying everything's going to be fine, it's going to be, you know, we're 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 moving into an er- a generation of peace, an era of peace. You know, how long how long have we been hearing that here in our country? You know, I could think of uh, of a song from the 60s it's about the age of Aquarius. Right. And, and, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've heard we're in that now, by the way. Yeah, if that's what uh, like the world to change at any time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Prophecy so sixties are coming true. Yeah. So so the, these these prophecies of peace that they clearly didn't come true. They're not coming true in our day and they didn't come true then. And and we can see them for the falsehoods they are. There was an interesting verse in here about women who sew magic charms on their sleeves. And the notes in my Bible was saying this is possibly some like weird Akkadian binding magic where where people believed that they could bind someone through their will, almost like a voodoo doll. God's calling out this stuff too. So well, this all- goes on today. I mean, there's a couple yeah. of belief patterns out there where they they actually like embroider runes onto their clothing. Mm. Usually they're underclothing so that it's not visible because that's mm-hmm. not the point. So it's like, I mean, that's not that hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah, still happening. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah very well, very did you guys understand did you guys understand what they said what they were saying about like the veils of different lengths like i didn't understand that I didn't which verse was that um it was right by with their embroidery it was or right by with the um okay here the women involved in practice magical practices are making veils i'm reading from my uh what's it called the um cultural backgrounds bible mm -hmm. I'll just read it here and we'll see what it comes. The women involved in magical practices are making veils. The meaning of the term is uncertain. It differs from the usual Hebrew words for veils and therefore suggests a special kind of veil used in magical practices. The okay. Babylonian series of incantations called maklu, I think that's how you pronounce it, refers, refers to calling on gods of the night and refers to the night as a veiled bride, the female counterpart of the gods of darkness presiding over witchcraft. So... Uh, nothing okay, very specific, so, but yeah, so New King James. So this is in verse 18 right. and say, thus says the Lord God, woe to the women who sew magic charms on their sleeves and make veils for the heads of people of every height to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people and keep yourselves alive? Right. OK, so then and then NIV says. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the women who sew magic charms on all their wrists and make veils of various lengths for their heads in order to ensnare people. Will you ensnare the lives of my people but preserve your own? I was just like, I couldn't figure out what that meant. Does that mean like a witch's veil is a different length than a prostitute's veil? My, you know, I was just trying to figure it out. Yeah, my guess would be that it's just all it's all just stuff dealing with certain witchcraft. And right. if you were reading it at the time or if you were, you know, had any real knowledge of what was going on, you'd probably understand it immediately. Hey, now I, I realize I have no actual knowledge of that's why I was asking. <laughs> you're not doing this at all. You're in secret. You sure? No, not wearing bells. <laughs> you know, but I, I think, too, it serves as a as a warning and I don't know about your Bibles, but mine gives an exclamation point that it hunts souls. Right. Souls. They're coming for you. Mm -hmm. That's another, once again, another warning out there. Be ready. Know your enemy. You know, they're coming after you. Be prepared. Yeah. Follow me. And they don't. They won't. Right. Right. We... we and I kept thinking this while I was reading this this week is we won't do that. We see every warning. We know the warnings. We know what to look for. But does it alter our path? We got to be careful of where we place our alliances and got to be, be careful of who we are subjecting ourselves to. Because even even now we can find our alliances divided I mean, okay, a big a big part of this we can see happening right now with all the weird stuff happening with the with the Walt Disney Company, right? And my my wife and I were always big and still are. I mean, big into the into the Disney culture, if you will. It's kind of how we were introduced, even. And now with the weird political stances, the the fact that a entertainment company for children is taking political stances at all is kind of bizarro to me. But right. but. We're beginning to see just how intertwined our lives were with that and how hard it is to separate from that now. Not to the point of like feeling like we need to boycott or anything like that, but just realizing that, wow, we really had a lot wrapped up into that, you know? And, and so if you can see it as, you know, if you were getting wrapped up with a person who was doing some kind of binding on you and in that case we're talking binding magic and you know whether the magic is real or what uh what whatever but i do you, I, I don't know do you get what i'm saying where you get you get intertwined with something to the point where it's it's hard to pull away yeah and i think that the weird the weird sort of twist that that can take is that there's so many different ways to become entwined mm -hmm. you can become entwined in a system that you weren't really intending to become entwined with through something as innocent, you know, using Disney as an example, as entertainment, children's entertainment, no less, the innocent of the innocent. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can follow, you can start off intertwining with an individual. 
you can intertwine with the generations before you. You can intertwine with entertainment or politics or religious figures. You can it, you can you can begin your int intertwinement with something that it turns out you don't actually want to be entwined with from just about any standpoint because the devil is clever and he knows human nature. And then next thing you know, it's something much bigger than what you ever thought. And it, it's basically turned into a slippery slope of what you've signed on with, what you agree with. Like, where do I put my dollars? Mm -hmm. Where do I put my time? Where do I put my attention? What do I regurgitate on social media and with my friends? And then wh what systems are those things a part of? And, and given how entangled the world is, how much of a Puritan do I feel I need to be? Because really how much is out there that is actually 100% clean? And if there's very little out there that's 100% clean, where do I draw my lines? And I think, I mean, it kind of sounds like Israel here in Ezekiel, they've been on this slippery slope. Like, well, this is no big deal. We'll just accept this. Well, that's no big deal. We'll just, we'll accept that. And next thing you know, they're storing horses in the temple and using side rooms for prostitution and they're burning children to Moloch. Yeah. Like, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. That's not anywhere near where they started. Right. You know, I think what we've, we've touched on this before is that I think if you take it in little pieces and little segments, then you become jaded to it and you become almost immune to it and it gets larger and larger without you knowing it. And then before you know it, you're totally immersed and you've totally been led astray. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then how do you backtrack and where do you, where do you go? Like where's clean land? How far I, back do you go? You know, I don't think you can do it alone. I think you just have to submit wholly to, to God. Just, just like he's saying now, you have to turn away. But I think you, you make the initial step and then God does the rest. But it has to be that, that freedom of choice, just like we were saying before. You have to physically say, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. And this is who I'm going to follow. And I think that's where that's where Israel just got twisted the entire way. Is it? It couldn't. It couldn't make that decision. If God is a true God, then follow Him. And if Baal is a true God, then follow Him. But you got to make up your mind. And they, I don't think they ever could make up their mind. Yeah. It was very right. seasonal. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's a great word for it. I'm remembering that story of the when the when Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the had the the showdown on the top of Mount Carmel and they built the two altars, right? And the prophets of Baal went first and tried to get fire to come down from heaven. And then it's and then finally, you know, by the end of the day, now finally it's Elijah's turn after shouting ridicule at the prophets of Baal all day. And well, maybe your God's on the on the toilet, you know, shout louder. He can't mm. hear you because he's using the restroom or napping. And so finally, it's his turn, and, and he calls the people close to him, and, and the first thing he says to them, well, I don't know if it's the first thing, but in my mind, my mind prioritizes the story by remembering this line first. He says to them, how long will you falter between two gods? Yep. If Baal is God, then serve him. If the Lord is God, then serve him. You know? Yeah, so this this binding magic, whatever, that these women were practicing, you know, I don't know if it seems more like maybe they were binding them to themselves, but we could see that there was just a lot of this kind of thing happening, whether on a personal level or on a larger religious scale. This is why Israel and Jerusalem got taken apart is because they they kept they kept being bound to all of these other other influences, different gods, different idols, different whatever. And, and this is why God is taking these things apart you know and i think too if you look at just kind of going back and you look at early civilizations and especially to egyptians the babylonians this this magic was huge in their in their society mm -hmm. huge and i think too is that that's where they're going and it's to me this was also like giving it giving them fair warning 
Um, because, you know, in 18, it says they hunt souls. But if you kind of go down a little bit, a little bit uh, lower into 20, behold, against your magic charms by which you hunt souls like they are birds. Mm. It's like, so I think this is just kind of the natural progression of this and, and how entrenched it is in their society. It's like, they're coming after you. Yeah. You follow these lies, they will hunt you down. Yeah, so I think it's a warning for us to... They're coming for us today, right now, and and we've got to watch out for that. The closest comparison of this that I've heard in modern day is I've listened to some sermons by this fellow who left that he was kind of like a higher up he calls himself a general in satan's army and then he became converted and, and became christian and now he goes around preaching about the differences and basically what he's trying to do is he's trying to wake modern christians up to the fact that the devil is very much alive and active and that the and that the spirit and that spiritual warfare is very much going on in the background and you are in you are part of it whether you want to be or not so perhaps you should pay attention right that's basically the gist of what he's doing and he talks about how when he was a general in satan's army he thought nothing of staying all uh, staying up all night to pray to pray for his god's will and to be involved in whatever it took to make that happen and he talked about how the country is divided up into regions and generals and other officers of Satan's army are over different regions of the country, and they will they will call down curses on towns. And by curses, I mean things like pornography, alcoholism, any other form of addiction, adultery. They will call down curses on regions and then sit back and let the, let the demons, the fallen angels, get to work. So it's mm. like, whoa, like this is calculated warfare on their part. And so then the question becomes, how much weight does that hold? And how do I fight it? And how mm. do I make sure that's not affecting or infecting me? How do I, you know, how do I combat that in the tangible world as well as the intangible world? Because we all know the spiritual world is happening, even though we can't see it. It's a, it's a very, it's a very, mm, it calls to mind, to my mind, it does not bring up images of modern religion. It brings up images of old school religion with the incantations and the curses and the runes and the whatever. And it, when, I, when I first started listening to him, like it almost sounded hokey until you look around society and then you're like, oh, found it. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's, 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 it makes me wonder how much overlap there is. Like maybe... Maybe these people in the army, soldiers for the dark, maybe they're not, you know, putting putting curses on binding curses on their wrists. Maybe they're not wearing veils specifically designed to do a certain thing, but their spiritual intention is just that to cause as much havoc and damage as they can through active engagement with evil. Mm. You know, so we're basically still fighting the same war on a modern warscape using different sort of visible tools. Yeah, it's interesting how little the tactics have changed. It seems like on the large scale that we that we see with our own eyes, it looks a little different, but we're still seeing lives bound to evils. We're but I think it only like, looks different because society looks different. I think the well, yeah. function within society is still the same. Yeah. But when you see, you know, the things like you're talking about there where, I mean, literally it's the same kind of stuff happening. You know, the uh, people who are actively paying attention to the idea of it being supernatural in, in, in nature, that, that contingency is still there. Uh, but then on the larger scale, the concepts are still the same. They just, they just look different. They just, you yeah. know. Get you wrapped up and wrapped up in other things, and you have to you have to really work to 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 separate yourself. Yeah, basically, Satan's going around like a roaring lion, lion seeking people to devour. Mm. So, yes, it is yeah. the things that are being put out there are to ensnare souls. Yeah, 
And he doesn't yeah. need you to believe in him. He just needs you to maybe not believe in God or to get distracted. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it goes right into the end of that first chapter where it says, uh, with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad. And you have strengthened the hands of the wicked so that he does not turn from his wicked way to save his life. So the people that are entrenched in this so deeply, they feel sort of justified in sticking with it. They don't feel a need to pull away from it. And and this is the kind of thing that God is talking about, how what these prophets have done in in Israel and uh, in Judah and have gotten to the point where they feel very confident and comfortable in their positions and have no desire to pull away. Going into chapter 14, we get more specifically into the idolatry. Now, this whole thing, I think, has been Ezekiel still in vision, where he is, we're, we're told that he, some elders come in front of him. I don't, I don't think this is literal because I think this is still him in vision, but these elders come in front of him. They come to him as if they're coming to him for guidance or maybe um, they're looking for a message from God. But God tells Ezekiel, these guys have idols in their hearts. And so should I let them even ask me anything? It says he'll treat accordingly anybody who puts their idols first and then comes God for a message and he will cut them off. How much should we be able to expect God to talk to us if our if our attention is focused so much in a different direction? Because we've seen we've seen times in some of our past readings where people would come to the prophet, but it was very clear that they really had no intention of following what the prophet was going to say. This seems to be what what God is talking about here. I don't know. I think that still happens today. People want to have that divided attention, but they still think that God is going to give them a, an answer. And I suppose sometimes he does. But how much should we be able to expect his guidance if we aren't regularly seeking his guidance? Um, that text jumped out to me also about them having idols in their heart. And at first I was like, oh, hey, whoa, that's something new. And then I was like, oh, yeah, no, all idols start in your heart. That's right. how they got to be idols. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think of God just saying, though, should I even talk to these people? Because I think their allegiance isn't to him. Right. Right. So, yeah, you're wasting your breath. Is it worth trying? Mm-hmm. So is I'll it? just throw this out here. As somebody who's been on the receiving end of infidelity, part of you wants to shout a protest. Part of you wants to make a list of all the ways that that shouldn't have happened because you were worthy. And then part of you is like, uh, okay, but none of that is new information. Like they knew all that and they still did this. Mm. So do I even bother? Yeah. And so, yeah, if they were to come back to you and want attention, do you give it to them? And I'm suspecting from your from your answer there, Karen, that the answer is basically no. <laughs> and that's because, you know, yeah, you know, God has compared the church to to a bride many right. times. He's used that. He's used that imagery many times in the in the things we've read already and and the unfaithful bride and um if a bride is going to remain unfaithful, if a spouse is going to remain unfaithful, how much time do you give to them? Are you going to give in to their whims? Uh, it probably would be fruitless. Most uh, likely, they're they're the one giving into their whims, just to be just to be right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but if you if you jump ahead, and and I know that we're going a little long here, so maybe jumping ahead isn't a bad thing. Right. But I know, it, like in our reading today, if you jump ahead to chapter sixteen, there is a very detailed graphic explanation of how God feels about what He has done for Jerusalem, and what Jerusalem's response to all of His efforts has been. And it is it is at the same time a little bit gritty and hard to read, and yet it's actually very um, eloquent as far as God being the jilted lover. Mm -hmm. Like, I found you when you were helpless, and I did these things to take care of you until you were old enough to love me. When you were old enough to love me, then I approached you as a husband. 
and I gave you all these things and I took your beauty and I made it into splendor by giving you all these things. And then you took all these things that I had given you and you acted as if they were your own and you gave them away to other people. You didn't just accept money to get with other people. You paid other people to come to you. How bad can you get with your unfaithfulness, right? Like that's the gist of what he says. I gave you jewelry, you melted it down and made idols for yourself, right? I gave you fine food, you fed it to others, you gave it to others. And you used all these things that I gave you to entice other people to you. So, all right, so let's bring that home. Now we've got a modern church. We've got God's modern church and we are still his bride, right? Israel was his bride, we're still his bride. And and he is trying to give us his glory. He's trying to give us his character, his beauty, his splendor, so that we can be a city on the hill. What are we doing with it, right? And mm-hmm. that's brass tacks, like, I, and I have no idea what that saying means. I just, it just came out. But mm-hmm. that's what this comes down to, is God is, God, the same as the, he did for ancient Israel, he has done for us in different forms. What are we doing with it? Yeah, are we using it for enhancing our relationship with God? Are we using it for doing the things he has designed for us? Yeah. If we keep, you keep it into the context of a marriage, you know, if you take the wedding ring and melt it down to sell it or, you know, or whatever, make it into something else, what would that be? You know, what's that, uh, what's that say about your, what's that say about your relationship? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. It's, so uh, so then to get back to what you were saying, how hard does God try? Mm-hmm. Like if we as humans were in this type of relationship, we would be so frustrated. We would be angry and jealous and hurt. And we would feel a partial urge to demand allegiance because we've earned it and a partial urge to run far, far away and never see that person again because they clearly have no regard for us and we want to be valued. And all of those feelings and reactions are legitimate. But guess what? That's God towards us. You know, we're the the straying wife here. Like in 15, he refers to Jerusalem as a useless vine. Mm -hmm. And then he goes into a long description about like, you know, what is a vine good for? What's a vine good for? If it doesn't, if it doesn't produce fruit, what's it good for? And then in 16, he goes into a lengthy description of as Jerusalem as an adulterous wife. I mean, this is, this is like, he's, he's mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, but we've seen this before. It's just, you know, this is probably not the best analogy to use, but <laughs> it's, it's almost like a play on words because we've heard this. We're just hearing it in a different way now. It's like, he's already told them, you know what? You've been led astray. Should I go after you? I Honestly, I probably shouldn't. But then I think this is when it's once again, this is what's going to happen. This is how I'm going to deal with you. But there is always a way back to me. Yes. So right now, yes. Should I, should I believe you? Should I, you're going with these lies. You're being led astray. You're putting idols, your idolatry against me, your useless vine, you're a cheating wife, but yet now I'm still going to show you my love, my grace, my mercy. Mm. You're still my people. Go do your time and you'll be restored. But I think this is the, this is the cautionary tale here. Don't get caught up there because yeah. they have a tendency to get caught up everywhere they go with mm-hmm. what is going on during that time with yeah. that particular nation. It's like, watch out for the Chaldeans because they are, they do, they practice these dark arts. They will hunt you down. They will get you if you allow them. If you keep your eyes fixed on me, you can do your redemptive period and come back. And all of this says a lot about God's nature versus human nature where, yeah, he can acknowledge, right now, you're kind of useless. Right now... <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, you know, yeah. Uh, what it say? Sorry, you are useless. <laughs> you're, you are, you are not. You're not being an active participant in this relationship. You are not being somebody who, who is, you know, by any other standards, would be worth pursuing. 
And if God were a regular human being, he would just write us off. But because he's not, because he's God, because he has this unbelievable love and care for us that we can't fathom, he still he still comes after us. He still pursues us. And it's maybe it's a difference of, you know, he waits for us to respond. It reminds me, remember when we were reading through Genesis and God said to the Israelites a couple of times, I didn't choose you to be my people because you're so amazing. Yeah. I didn't choose you because of you. I chose you because it's my nature to mm-hmm. love you. And mm-hmm. and like this this behavior that we've seen generation after generation after generation definitely shows that. Mm-hmm. So this is this is not just a a nation, a bride who is who is disregarding him. This is active sabotage of what their relationship should be. Like it's brutal. Yeah, because well, I mean, you get into the the rest of chapter sixteen there, and when he starts talking about you're not you're not like a regular harlot, you're not like a regular prostitute because right. that's the word he's using, harlot, prostitute, depending on probably what version you're reading. You're actually paying them, right? You know, <laughs> uh, so bad. That is, you know, I mean, we get we get a mind picture of prostitution in our heads, and we maybe put too much what word do i want to use we we look down maybe on it harder than we should because everybody's got their issues and blah 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 you know Uh, and some people it's been a historical thing that sometimes that's like the only way people can make money you know but whatever that's not that's not the point but when you are at the point where you will take on anybody and not only will you take on anybody but you're going to give them money to do it um That is a that's, whole. That's a new kind of low. <laughs> yeah, that is a so whole, bad. That's a whole different level. Very graphically written. Jeez, Ezekiel. Yeah, well, yeah, he's not pulling punches. I mean, this these last couple chapters were not necessarily the chapters that you read as bedtime stories for your kids. <laughs> you know, the 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 description of the girl growing up and and reaching yeah. puberty and whatnot. And and this was um, far off Ezekiel in the wheel. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, not a children's bedtime story. Most of the Bible honestly isn't if we're being if we're being fair. Um so but yeah, a whole different low. You're 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 the one doing the the soliciting. The soliciting Yo. and and sacrifice their children, right? Yeah. She gives herself away. She sacrifices their children mm. and she gives away the things that he's given her to enhance her beauty and make her safe and well cared for. Yeah. And she gives those away in order to attract lovers. It's like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And this is not flattering. It it made me cringe. And when I think back about, over the course of humanity and the course of my own life, all I could think was, oh, this is embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, he even says nobody was even soliciting you. <laughs> you right. Know? Right. So. Mm. Yeah, it's it's so then is it any wonder that he's at the end of his tether? Well, yeah, that's that you know, that is the that was the biggest takeaway that I've gotten from Ezekiel. I think maybe even more than any other prophet we've read so far is that God is just really laying it down on the line. Of course, remember this is Ezekiel who's already been pulled away to to Babylon and is probably giving these messages to people who are in Babylon and God is now, it's like God is saying, this is why you are where you are now because you have let every single other influence possible come into your life. You have ignored me. You have, you have rejected me. I have given you absolutely everything and you have, well, there's a phrase I want to use here, but I won't because this is a Bible podcast. You, <laughs> you have squandered every single thing I have given you. And um, but I think to add to that, but don't forget, you can also go lower. Yeah. How? You know, just I think it's the same. Look back at the, the prostitute analogy. Even though you're there for what you've done, you can still go lower get caught up in their nations, what their nation does, become part of their idolatry, part of their witchcraft. You can still go lower. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, God, this is why God, this is why God had 
to be so drastic in what he did. And I think these are the things that when people look at God as being Old Testament God being like cruel, they're not taking into context what Israel had been doing, the Israelites had been doing for centuries at this point and and so far off the mark, so corrupted. And this is this is God pulling him out before they can go any lower, before they're utterly destroyed, before they completely and utterly destroy themselves. I guess my question is, God states that his character is reflected in his actions. Mm -hmm. I do these things because of who I am, right? So, and here's a great reflection of humanity's actions. You know, and then, and then, of course, that is, how does the proverb go? Even a child is known by his actions. So if you look back over the course of fallen humanity, you get one generation from Adam and Eve. You've got the first murder. Yeah. One generation. That's a rapid fall from perfection to murder. And then, let's see, then you go to the flood, right? We're starting over. We're just going to break it down to these few people. Only Noah was found righteous in his generation. And we get out, you know, and then, like, after the after the flood, like, he gets drunk and is laying around naked and his sons are misbehaving. And and then 100 years later, they're ready to build the Tower of Babel to because they because they can, right? Because in, in, in explicit defiance of what God said to do, they're going to cluster together and become self-sufficient, you know, and then you fast forward to, you see what I'm getting at? Like Mm -hmm. every Bible story, every sort of major generation, all the way to today, it does not take long for human nature to get off track and corrupt a situation. And so if we're supposed to look at God's actions and see his character, it's a little bit horrifying to think about what he sees when he looks down of our character and it makes his love and grace and sacrifice all the more astounding. I mean, here we're just talking about like this one sort of cumulative space amount of time within the Israelite nation, within, within a Jerusalem. Actually, that was Judah, wasn't it? That wasn't Israel. That was Judah. Yeah. And so we're talking about two little tribes or two and a half tribes, whatever it was in the breakdown yeah. of, of the Israelite nation and a collective response from God of how they have been acting. And and yet, we've done the same thing. Humanity has done the same thing in every generation over time. I mean, you fast forward this all the way down to where Jesus was. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's facing his own death, and all he wants is his friends to pray for him. And humanity is so frail that they go to sleep instead. And three different times he comes to them looking for companionship, looking to feel a human connection. Anybody, do I matter to anybody? I'm about to do this big thing. Does it matter to anybody? And his closest friends are asleep. Like we are not, we are not great. (laughs) No, no. And, you know, he gives us, he gives us the leeway to go the directions we want to go. And over and over again, we keep showing that if we go the way that we just want to go, it's it's further and further away from him. Right. And so he does drastic things to pull us back. And then we want to blame him for, oh, why are so many bad things happening to me? <laughs> you know, and and I in my mind's eye, I can see God looking at us and going, if I let you do what you want to do, you just keep proving that you're going to do the wrong thing every single time. Yeah. And yeah, we've got, we've got free will, but thank God, God is loving enough to not let us fall to our free will because, because we would just, we would just do stupid stuff. Yeah. We would destroy ourselves. We would absolutely destroy ourselves. You know, we've already proven that we would destroy him because, you know, we crucified, we crucified God. We, we tried to kill God and that is. That is a hard a thing. It's for... in the matter. The local human leader said, well, do you want this guy or do you want this guy? Do you want this local confirmed thief that's been living in your midst for years? Or do you want this guy over here? And they were like, give us the thief. You go ahead and crucify Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. It does not take humans long. No, no. no. And 
so when you know when we see these things that 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 seem harsh that seem drastic well they are drastic they are drastic because god has let us go as much as he can but he's not willing to he's not willing to just let us wallow in our own blood which is the way that the you know that that description of how he found the way he found the 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 girl that he's using as an analogy for uh, judah you know he found her like lying on the ground in a puddle of her own blood she was literally she's a newborn yeah yeah totally and, and helpless and then and then as she grows up she like goes back to it you know and these things are not God being cruel. These are God being loving. This is, this is the dad having to give his child a spank and you don't want to do it, but you've come to the point where it's the last ditch effort and, and you want to, you want to pull them back into some, some sense that you got to take them out of their situation and you've got to, you've got to, you've got to do something to wake them up. So the way that this ends at the the way this winds up at the end of chapter 16. So I've got this parallel Bible with a couple of couple of translations and a couple of paraphrases. So if you go to the end of chapter 16, mm, let's see. Let's do 60 through 63. So New King James says, "Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you." In the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and your younger sisters. For I will give them to you for daughters, but not because of my covenant with you. And I will establish my covenant with you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame. When I provide you an atonement. For all you have done. Okay, so she's the one that's run off. Yep. And God is going to be the one that makes atonement for her. Like, that's some grace. And that's his character and his value coming through, not hers. So NIV, then when I make atonement for you for all you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation, declares the sovereign Lord. Like, oh, I acted like that. That's embarrassing. You know, it's funny. We can think as as adults back on the dumb things we did as children. Of course, we still do dumb things. But I was going to say congratulations on outgrowing that. I'm not oh, sure yeah. No, I do. I do everything right now. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in the midst. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but the fact that God God is the one making the atonement that's that's fascinating. It really is. It really is amazing that it's not left on us. Well, just look at what we've been reading. I mean, how how Israel and Judah, like you said, Karen, so quickly turned away, started going the other direction. God always comes for them, always comes to pull them back, always comes to help them come back into the fold, come back into what he wants, come back into what's actually good. But yeah, I it, think as we, as we go on, it gets harsher. Yeah, You know, his words and, and rebuke become harsher. And it's, you know, to the point of, and never open your mouth anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. That's just an elegant way of saying, shut up. Yeah. 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 You know, because I've done everything for you. Don't mm-hmm. ever question it again. Mm. So what do you guys yeah. think of chapter 17? What was this funny little story? 17 was odd. And I had to it's really. It's kind of a non sequitur. I had to kind of. Yeah. I was, yeah. It's all of a sudden this was sort of all of a sudden different. I had to look into the notes to kind of get the idea. So. For our listeners' sake, chapter 17 starts with God giving a parable to Ezekiel to give to the people back home. And it's a weird parable about a couple of eagles and some cedar trees. So an eagle goes in, grabs the top branch off of a cedar tree, takes it, plants it in the ground, and this cedar this cedar tree kind of becomes... A low vine. So, you know, cedar tree should grow tall and straight and strong. But this one just stays low to the ground and doesn't really amount to much. 
another eagle comes in. I remember exactly how the how, how how the parable went. So weirdly, the first one grows and becomes a vine, a, mm-hmm. a cedar seedling, a cedar tops, right? So he takes the very top off a tree and he plants it by abundant water. And when it sprouts, it becomes a low spreading vine. It's very odd. Mm-hmm. And then another one comes and I'm trying to remember, did the other one also take this vine bend its roots toward? OK, so we're talking about the same vine. Another eagle comes in. The fir- okay, the first vine, <laughs> I don't know, this, it, it was really The first hard. vine was the tree topper. Yeah, well, yeah. Tree topper, then to the vine. They both are. It's both yeah. the same, it's the, both the same tree top, I, I believe. But it says, the first, the, for, for the first eagle, the, the roots stay under it, it becomes a vine, uh, brings out branches and shoots, okay? But then there's another eagle that comes, and the vine bends its roots towards this eagle, Stretches its branches toward the eagle. Okay. And so these two eagles, okay, you're going, what in the world is this talking about? But the last part of the chapter really is the explanation of the parable. And I had to, but I also had to go into some of the notes of my different Bibles to understand what was happening. The first vine is talking about Nebuchadnezzar. No, the first eagle is Nebuchadnezzar. And that branch off of the cedar tree was Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin. And that was him being carried away to Babylon, where it just kind of, he kind of became nothing. But then it talks about the seed planted in a fertile field. This is Zedekiah. But that vine then turns everything to a different eagle. This eagle was Egypt. So this is when this is when Jerusalem is trying to reach out to Egypt for protection and stuff. And so I uh, think that they're two separate sprouts, and because they are two separate right. plantings. So the first one is planted by a river, and the second one is planted in the high and lofty mountains. Gotcha. Okay. It was confusing to me. <laughs> I was hoping you guys had a little better insight than I did on it, but. But okay, so two different two different branches. But these I think still these are two different kings of Jerusalem. We had Jehoiachin in the first place, we had Zedekiah in the second place. Oh well you went further than me. I hadn't gotten names assigned to them, so you did really okay. good. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking is that the first one so Jehoiachin got taken away to Babylon. Zedekiah was still there and tried to tried to turn to Egypt, like God always said not to. And, but the end point of this is God says, will it not wither when the east wind touches it? So this is God saying it's still not strong. And when this east wind is being, is what's then Nebuchadnezzar, it's going to be that the vine of Jerusalem is just going to wither and die because they don't have anything really strong. There's no real strength to this anymore. That's the takeaway I was getting from it is that these different forces were in play kind of from different angles on Jerusalem. And while one is taking away a king, another king is looking to a different kingdom to 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 be the protection. But in the meantime, Jerusalem is just weakened. And and when Nebuchadnezzar comes in, there's nothing there anymore. That was the explanation of the parables I got from it from the last from the last part of yeah from a, from 11 on it kind of breaks it down but once again it's it's do this this and this falter there but I'll bring you back and the chapter make you a majestic cedar yeah the chapter ends with kind of it's like god himself then was going to plant one of the high twigs of the cedar plant it on a high mountain and says it will grow into a majestic cedar and i'm wondering is this is this messianic? Is this basically God saying I'm going to put I'm going to put Jesus as king over over everything? That was my takeaway, if my inter- interpretation on it is correct. Because I mean, it's obvious that the, there weren't any more kings of Ju- of uh, Jerusalem at this point. So I kind of thought that this has kind of got to be it's got to be a, another messianic prophecy there. While we've seen all these, all this stuff pulling them away, pulling them down, while they keep dividing their attentions, God is going to plant his own 
tree, if you will, to be that king. And that that tree will be a big, tall, strong tree. I think that's the takeaway from chapter 17. See, and you got a lot more specific with it than I did. So you were thinking of it as applying to specific people, which I think is probably spot on. Right. It reminded me of the chapter, the section of Isaiah 40 that says he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Right. So it's establishing God's sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And then in Daniel um, two, there's just a brief reference to kind of the same thing. So in in the first part of uh, verse 21, it says he changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. So I was like, I didn't even I think you're probably spot on, Matt. I think the way that you applied it to the what was actually happening there and who was in power and who was going to last in power and who was going to be taken out of power. I went with more of like a general sovereignty of God approach mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll attribute it to the note, the uh, the study <laughs> notes in my Bibles. I, I'm not that smart <laughs> to have figured that out, but it, it fits, though. It, it does. It fits because, you know, God is talking about how, um, you know, like uh, from 11 on, and he talks about uh, king of Babylon went to Jerusalem, took its king and princes. Um, goes on. He rebelled against him and sending his ambassadors to Egypt. So, I mean, if you just if you apply that, I suppose, to the kings that we've already read about, you would you would get those the, those kings out of it. But of course, you know, the point being, one of them was was just flat carried away. One of them tried to to look at another another kingdom for strength, and the, neither one of them really amounted to much because when Nebuchadnezzar stepped in. It all just crumbled. It just died. It just was just done. It's just done. And then, of course, the whole thing ending because you know we we started this 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 episode talking about the grim nature of everything we we're talking about. But yet, I think the chapter ends with this promise that that God then would send set up his own king that is not going to wither, is not going to die. And I think that's usually how most of these these warnings and rebukes conclude is mm-hmm. it's once again just like we've said over and over it's it's i'm going to chastise you i'm going to give you a warning but then i'm also going to tell you that i'm i am going to restore you yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's the ultimate takeaway i think in all of it we could you know we could focus on the grim aspects of it we could look at we could look at all of the harsh stuff that god does but when you when you get to the end of it and you see that God's love prevails at the end of it, that he ends with promises. He ends with, you know, promises for good things. I feel like I should clarify that by grim, I meant embarrassing for humanity. Well, sure. (laughs) But it ends, you know, that last line of chapter 17 is amazing. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Mm -hmm. Done. Mm -hmm. End of negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing to... That is the thing to always remember in our faith is that God is the one in charge and which would, you know, who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? God's God's the one who keeps his promises. With that, I think that's our time for this week. Next week, we will be reading chapters Ezekiel chapters 18 through 22. And so while you are reading that and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org with any questions or comments. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, you can look for us on Facebook. Please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so we can reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Now, was this the chapter, and I forgot to mention it, wasn't there a part in this where God actually brought up Daniel's name? He did. It's 14.14. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness.
That's an interesting time frame reference because we're reading Ezekiel before Noah, before we read Daniel. Right. But apparently his name was already known. Yeah, well, well that... Well, he's probably carried away with the royalty at the very beginning. Right, but he's already known as a man of righteousness. Yeah. So Noah yeah. and Job, those are classic standards of, of right. righteousness and stalwart, you know, good behavior. But apparently Daniel's already in that. So this... This cultural Bible I've got here suggests that it's a different Daniel, though, which seems odd to me because we don't hear about any other Daniel. But it says, let's see, the biblical Noah and Job are paragons of virtue from errors long ago. They are not considered to be Israelites. Moreover, the spelling of Daniel here, D-N-L, differs from the Hebrew spelling of the prophet Daniel, D-N-Y-L, and is usually taken as a reference to another ancient Gentile of old. Oh, okay. Hence the aptness of comparing the king of Tyre to him. So, uh, yeah. So, if I look down at the footnote, I see that D-A-N-E-L, Daniel. Mm -hmm. But when I look up above in the regular text, it says Daniel. So, I, know, I, had, right. I, I yeah. hadn't noticed that difference in spelling. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'd be uh, a different person. Huh? So, it goes on in the, I don't know how to say this word for sure, Ugaritic texts. The Ugaritic. father of the hero Akat is a king, Danel who is described as the righteous ruler who judges the cause of the widow and educates the case of the fatherless. This is a stock phrase that describes a righteous ruler par excellence. Oh, Daniel oh. is an upright man who prays to God and gives righteous judgment. The memory of an ancient righteous man named Daniel is part of the common tradition in the ancient Near East. Right. He has become an emblematic figure and we may see a reference to him here in Ezekiel. And the reason they have to use an ancient righteous figure is because no one is actually that righteous when you get up close and personal with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they're, they, they go on. I mean, they basically are saying they don't think it's, it doesn't sound like it's the same Daniel. It's more like, I guess when you can see that the other two were not Israelites, that we're talking about another guy. who was also not necessarily an Israelite, but acted properly. 